Father in heaven, we come to you this morning with some heavy hearts. We were here last week and we saw that in the book of Malachi there is a questioning over whether you love us. Father, we ask that you would be near to us this morning and help us and strengthen us and be merciful to us, Father, that we would not be those who are coming at you trying to figure out what you're like and therefore if you are good to us, if you do love us. But rather, Father, that today we would be a humble people that's bowing ourselves down before you. And Father, I pray that that would be the the attitude of our church. I pray, Father, that would be the demeanor of our posture. That we would be people humbled by the power and grace of God toward us. Father, I pray that in our relationships with one another, that in our uh, activity outside of church, in all the places that we come and go, Father, that it would appear that we have been humbled before the Lord. We have humbled ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That we know that you are our Father in heaven, that you are a saving God, but that you saved us by the giving of your son who gave his life because of the seriousness of sin. And Father, we would live like those things are true and they matter to us. Father, make us a church that is alive by the power of the Spirit, alive to what you're like, alive to your desires, alive to what you love. And Father, may we not be a church that is hardly taking you serious. Father, as we move through Malachi today, we ask for your help in this, that you would open our eyes and give us faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn to the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Last week we began at uh, the very beginning of the book, we covered the first five verses. Today we're going to go one, six through the end of the chapter. As you heard me pray, asking that God would make our, heart, our church have a heart of, of humility before him, and we would really believe that he is our God and we are his children, and that would, that would uh, in a good way, be over us, uh, weighing on us, impacting us. <clears throat> Last week, God said in the beginning, in verse one, chapter one of verse two, I have loved you, says the Lord. And the people answered back, how have you loved us? We spent basically the whole message last week talking about what it means to be loved by God and to question God's love and to doubt it or to not believe it. God picks up on that and now continues, beginning in verse 6, on why he can tell that they are not loving God back where their lack of understanding God loving them comes from, what their problem is in essence. Let's start reading at verse six. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests who despise my name, 
But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. There is a temptation for us to make church completely fun and exciting. I find that we use the word exciting quite a bit. We are excited and we are excited and we are excited. But then we walk through the Bible and we come to passages like this and try as I might all week long to figure out how to make that be exciting. You can't really. For there are times when God is speaking to his people with a seriousness. And there are issues in our lives that need to be addressed. I hope you know this to be true. I hope you are sincere enough in your faith that you welcome that. Because here is where we are God speaking to his people through the prophet Malachi. I want to start off here today by saying that we need to remind ourselves of the seriousness of God. The seriousness of God. Do you take him Seriously. Not religion seriously, not all things divine seriously. I mean the person of God, the one true God, 
the one that speaks and loves, the one who cares about us, the one who watches us right now, the one who has his plan from the beginning of time to do this work in our lives that we might treasure him, that individual, the person of God, do you take him serious? Do you think about what he's thinking? Do you listen to what he says? Do you wonder or feel or move according to his pleasure and displeasure? Do you take him serious? It begins with a message from Malachi about God declaring his love for them, and they're not sure that he even does, which is an early sign that they don't take him very serious because God is saying he loves them, and they don't even know if they believe it. But then God moves here in verse 6 into a very real, a, a two-sided argument discussion to show them that they're not being right toward God. He gives the analogy of a father and a son. Sons are to honor their fathers. And then he gives the analogy of a servant and a master. Servants are to fear or honor their masters. And he says, if I am your master and if I am your father, why is there no honor or no fear? And so here you see the seriousness of this. God has a people here who are living, listen, in their minds for him. They think they're living for God. Now, the big challenge here is, is, is it ignorantly driven? Is it driven by ignorance so that they kind of think that they're right? Or are they so proud that they know that they're not right and they're just trying to appease their, their little conscience? Either way, they are not living for God. They're not taking him serious. And so now God is addressing that. One of the clearest ways for you and I to understand that we should take God serious is that when he sees his people here not taking him seriously, he goes straight to it. He addresses it. He brings it up. He says, if I'm a master, where's my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you. And then he directly speaks to the priests, the leaders. Now, the whole passage in the whole book of Malachi lets us know that it's the, it's the nation of Israel that is a problem here, but he's, he's even directly speaking to the priests, those who are to be leading the people in worship, helping the people draw near to God, helping the people in their right devotion in sacrificial worship to God. Those people who are helping them understand what it means to be in a right relationship with God, those people who are helping them come into worship with a pure heart, which is the only type of worship that there can be, those those people are flawed, and he still in verse 6 says, O priests who despise my name, you say, but you say, how have we despised your name? In God's eyes, from God's perspective, they hate him. Think about that. And their answer is, what? What are you talking about? How? Really? What have we done? How have we despised you? And here you can become, or here you can see all of the justifying of why they are the way they are. 
all the defending of how they have lived. And here comes the questioning and the argumentative spirit. And here comes the attitude. And here comes the uh, arguing back. And here comes the uh, speaking out about why they think they're right. And yet God says, no, you despise my name. I point this out here at the beginning with a heaviness because what God is holding to be very serious right now, they aren't. It's like they're saying, it's not that big of a deal, God. And we're still sacrificing. We're still saying we're focused on you. We're still involved, right? And God is saying, that's not it. That's not it. Worshippers of God are people that worship God from the heart. You need to know here today that what you do is not as important as why you do it. We've talked about this a lot. They are okay with half-heartedly doing the things that God has told them to do. They're okay with that, but they have not brought the heaviness and the burden and the sacrifice and the, and the, and the, and the seriousness to it. They're not taking God seriously. And undoubtedly, listen, if you don't take God seriously, you do not take yourself seriously. And if you don't take yourself seriously, you're not taking your sins seriously. You ignore them. You make excuses about them. You quickly look at the person beside you who's living much worse than you. You can quickly point out all that you're doing. You ask, how? How am I despising your name, God? And they're just not taking God serious enough the way he wants them to. Matt McBroom read from Luke chapter six where Jesus says, not everybody that calls me Lord. Let me read it to you. Luke chapter six, verse 46, Jesus says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Does everybody hear that? This is directly out of the mouth of Jesus. Why? Why are you calling me Lord and you do not do what I say? This is Jesus talking. Now, maybe all of us parents have said something similar to that. Why are you saying yes, sir, to me, but you're not obeying me? Something like that. But this is, and, and, and that's bad even in that setting. But this is on the, the, the grand level. This is on the heavenly worldwide creation level where our God, our Lord Jesus is saying to us, why do you call me Lord, but you do not do what I tell you? In other words, what God takes serious, the people are not yet taking serious, and this is at the very heart of what God is most concerned about. Why are you calling me Lord, but not living like I am Lord? We must take him serious. This week, I was riding the car with my youngest son, Noah. He says to me, why do you have to be 16? before you can drive? I said, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they think people that aren't 16 yet can't drive. He said, there's people that can know how to drive before they're 16. 
What if you learn how to drive, and you learn how to drive a bike, and you learn how to drive a go-kart, and then you know how to drive before you're 16? Shouldn't you be able to drive? I said, well, now that I think about it, Noah, there's a lot more that goes into driving than just being able to drive. There's a seriousness about it. I said, yeah, you may know how to do this, but there's all kinds of variables that come up. There's rain, there's bad drivers, there's... There's traffic, there's all of these things. And I said, son, it is, it is so serious to drive a car. These cars are so heavy, we're driving so fast. If something goes wrong while you're driving, it's really, really bad. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people die every year in car accidents. So it's not so much about knowing how to drive as it is, do you take driving serious enough to drive? Wouldn't you agree? And church, I want to let you know here this morning that when it comes to the one true and living God, it's not so much what you do that you can say you're doing for him. But it is actually, are you taking him seriously? Is there a reverence in your heart toward him? Is there a surrender, a a bowing, a humbling of yourself before him? Is he Lord and therefore who you are, what you do comes out of wanting it to be for him? Have you taken him seriously? Does God look at your life the way he does at them and says, hey, you call me your father in heaven, but I see no honor. You call me your master, but I see no fear. You don't take me serious. It's like you're despising my name. When you start to even begin to take God seriously, perhaps as you're thinking right now as I'm talking about this, or perhaps during your week or something comes up and you begin to think a little more deeply about God, when that happens, what do you do? Do you make changes? Have you ever resolved, have you recently resolved to move more toward God? One of the hardest things for people that are in our position is to make changes make shifts, to admit, they're wrong, to admit we're wrong, to be okay with saying, I need to improve in some of these areas. We need to make some changes. But if it is true that God is the most important thing in the world and we are to be taking him seriously and he even speaks to taking me seriously and he would even say to people who say they live for him, you despise my name. If God is that serious about himself, then wouldn't it be all good and beneficial and profitable for us to be regularly saying and examining and resolving to say, I'm going to take him more seriously. I'm going to take him more seriously. He is more important to me than this. He needs to be more important to me than this. I need to make him more important in my life. I need to take him seriously. There are some areas of your life where you take it so serious. 
There are some areas where you are so focused on doing it the right way and not messing it up and being very careful and cautious with it. There are. You have those things in your lives. I know that you do. God should be that way. You should be taking him seriously. We should be able to hear things like, am I honored as the father in heaven that I am? Am I feared as the master and you're my servant that I am to be? Or does it look like you despise my name? Do you question back to God? How have we despised your name? I mean, what am I doing? I don't see anything wrong with it, right? This sort of an attitude toward God, God describes as despising his name. And one more thought on the seriousness of God How bad is it if God says, it seems like you hate me? Your living, your godly living, your religious living, your obedient living seems like you hate me. That's what he says. That alone is very serious, and we ought to take it seriously. Well, anytime God gets serious or the conversation thickens or the tension grows, then we are left with an opportunity to respond. And so we see this here. They answer in verse seven, how have we despised your name? Or chapter six, I mean, verse six. And then verse seven, this is what happens. By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? My first point here today is the seriousness of God. My second point is indifference toward God. They were indifferent. They didn't really care either way. They weren't really moved by it. Polluted, not polluted. Devoted, not devoted. Obedient, not obedient. Despising your name, not despising your name. They were indifferent toward God. So here's what, here's what we see. They ask, how? God says, okay, I'll tell you how. You've offered to me polluted food. And they answer back, how? How's it polluted? And so what you start to see here, and I I, I don't want to minimalize it, and I don't want to trivialize it, but perhaps you've been in an argument before with somebody who's being childish. And you end up arguing in a way that you wish you weren't even arguing. And next thing you know, you're like, I'm not arguing over this. You're just trying to be argumentative. You're just trying to stir this up, right? And yet, this is not a childish situation. This is a serious situation for God is speaking to his people. And yet they're arguing back over how, what? What are you talking about? I don't see that. And God is addressing them. They're indifferent toward it. So God says, you've despised my name. They say, how have we despised my name? God says, by offering polluted food. And they said, how have we offered polluted food? And so then God begins to to, to explain. So let's read it. By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. Here's what they do. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, that is evil. Is that not evil? 
And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? In other words, God has created in the Old Testament this sacrificial system that he put in place so that people can come to God and express that they have remorse and conviction over their sins. Now, the the sacrificial system was never, listen, was never ever intended to save them. If you're here today and you thought that people in the Old Testament or you think that people in the Old Testament are saved by offering the sacrifices and being obedient to that, uh, that is not true. That was never right. That's never been the case. God put that in place so that the people could express that their heart was convicted over their sins. But he points out to them that could never save. We need a better and lasting sacrifice. And as you know, the true and ultimate sacrifice is the Lord Jesus Christ who was coming. But as they walked into the sacrificial system, as they sought the Lord, as they went to the priest and said, hey, we need forgiveness, we have sinned, he would tell them, according to the word of God, how to do it. You need to go get this. You need to go get this lamb, and it needs to be unblemished, and it needs to be a male. You need to go get these doves, and they need to be this color, and they need to be a certain way, and you need to go and offer those to God. And so what was happening is people with conviction were coming to God and saying, God, I need forgiveness. Forgiveness can't be found in me doing something. I can't go and be better. I can't go and follow this rule in order to make up for this rule that I didn't follow. Forgiveness isn't found there. Forgiveness is found in the heart of God who is gracious and merciful, but there has to be some going to him that is sincere about that. And God gave us a sacrificial system to lay before us what would ultimately happen when Jesus Christ died for us. And we kept looking and looking and looking for this good and final sacrifice so that you and I don't have to go and get a goat. We don't have to go and chop its head off. We don't have to go and get the blood. We don't have to go and lay it on an altar. That has been done once for all, not through an animal, but through God's son, Jesus, who laid down his life for us and shed his blood and sacrificed himself, not for his sins, but for our sins in our place. And if anybody goes, if you go to God, sincerely broken to God and say, God, I need forgiveness. I take you serious. You are a holy God. You are a father in heaven. You are a master. And I want to be a son that honors you. I want to be a servant that fears you, God. I want you to forgive me of my sins. God, please forgive me of my sins. God will forgive you of your sins based off the once and for all finished work of Jesus Christ. He will. You will be right with God forever. You will be accepted into God's presence. You will become a child of God forever through the work of Christ. The Old Testament sacrificial system was put in place to give us understanding of how God deals with us, to give us understanding of what it looks like for punishment or judgment to come out on something sacrificed in our place, but it was never able, but it was never able to actually save. So what we find in the Old Testament is people going to God believing, offering these sacrifices, but they had to do it the way God told them to. And your desiring to do it the way God told you to kind of revealed where your heart was. And you're not desiring to do it in any way that God told you to revealed where your heart was. It revealed your indifference to him. And so folks, what we have in our world 
are people all over the place that go to church without desiring to do life the way he's told us to. We have people all over the place who say they believe or follow Jesus, but they're not desiring to do it the way he's told us to. They are indifferent, truly, to God. They're asking, how, why, when have we hated you? We don't hate you, we're doing these things. Well, you've polluted my name, you've polluted my table. What do you mean polluted? And God says, you're bringing these flawed, blemished, wrong sacrifices to me. You're not coming at it with a seriousness. Your heart's not in it. You're just doing it. And you're acting like that's okay. You're acting like that's what I want. No, you're just doing what you want to do. You're just doing it the way you want to do it. There is no Lord, God, Master, Savior, Father in heaven. Will you forgive me of my sins? There's none of that. You're indifferent to the way I want it to be. One of the shows I used to watch a lot, I feel like I haven't seen it in years, but I used to watch Whose Line Is It Anyway? Do y'all know that show? Whose line, funny show, gets a little dirty, crude sometimes, you just gotta ignore that. I used to watch Whose Line, it used to, used to crack me up, and every time they'd go to a new set, he would say, and this game's worth 200 points. Next time he'd say, this game's worth 500 points. One time I was watching with my kids, and they said, so, so what's the score? And then it never says the score. And then go to a new set, this game's worth 1,000 points. Whoever wins, will get 1,000 points. My kids would go, what's the score? And Drew Carey would say, this is the game show where the points don't matter. They said everything had points, but they didn't keep score. The points didn't matter. They were just always saying, this game's worth this many points. And you watch it, but they weren't really worth any points. They never even talked about points. He just said that, and then nothing ever else was mentioned about points. They didn't give out any points. They didn't keep any points. They didn't tally any points. There was no score at all. And I remember one time my kids going, then why does it matter? And that's kind of part of the comedy, right? We're talking about points, but the points don't really matter. And if it's a silly game show on TV, I guess that's funny, right? But what if it's God who's laid out what he wants from us? A 30-minute show is something we can laugh at and say the points don't matter. Well, why are they talking about points? I don't get it. What's the score? Oh, there's not really a score. Well, then what's the point of all of it? But if God has revealed to us what he wants us to be like, how we can take him seriously, how appalled he is at indifference toward him, we cannot just say, I don't care. That's not what his people do. This matters to us. Well, let's keep reading, though, because it gets even deeper. He then asked the question, he, he has already said, I don't accept those sacrifices. That is awful to me. I, that seems evil to me. You are despising my name. And then he says this, a really practical thing. Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And he knows the answer is no. When they would have to go and offer something to the, to the civil leaders in regards to, say, taxes and things like that, that would not be allowed. And God says, if it's not going to be allowed there, it's not going to be allowed here. Can you, can you just kind of see 
how this applies to us in so many ways with our desires, with our, with our passions, with the things that we're devoted to, with the things that we obsess over and spend so much time on, and the things that kind of consume us, and the things that we spend money on. And then we try to come to God and act like we're gonna live for him, where we've given so much energy or joy or pleasure or even attention or time or, or money to so many things, and then we hope that we might be able to squeeze in just a little bit of God in our lives and hope that that's sincere enough that it works. And God just calls our bluff. He does. And listen, it's super hard for, for a pastor to, to call your bluff. But God calls our bluff. The priests here said they've been leading the people in worship. They've been offered sacrifices. They've been working like crazy for God, right? And God says, no, you haven't. No, you haven't. You're indifferent toward me. Your governor wouldn't even accept that type of devotion. Verse nine, and now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Y'all, that verse is a verse of sarcasm. He's saying, you wanna be all that way and then you hope that you can come over here and act like that's Christianity? No, it's not, and you know it's not. You wanna act like giving God 5% of your heart is really surrendering yourself for him? It's not, and you know it's not. And you're just hoping nobody brings it up. That's what God does. He brings it up. But now look at verse 10, and I hope you hear this today. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. Malachi is good. He says, I wish there was one priest out there who would say, y'all, we're playing the game. You know what I wish? I wish there was one person in Fairdale who could speak up to all the people who are playing the game. And I don't know how long a North Carolina boy has to live here long enough to be able to say it to enough people that you're playing the game, but you're playing the game. And God speaks up here and says, I wish there was one person who would shut the doors on your fake living, acting like Jesus is Lord, because you know and I know he's not. I wish one of you priests would stand up and shut the doors on all these sacrifices. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, I wish the sacrificial system would stop. I wish all this that I laid out right here, that y'all say that you're obeying, I wish it would stop. Close the doors, shut down shop. You're not living for God by faith, so just stop it all together. If you don't think so, look what he says next. That, uh, 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 I have no pleasure in you. Godly, Godward, uh, scriptural living in their mind, God says, no, 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 no pleasure there. Folks, the church people have to be the ones who model to the world that it's about the heart. It's not about the motions. It's not about the activity. It's not about what we do. It's not that we gave an offering just a little bit ago. It's not that we're here this morning. It is about our heart loves him deep down. We're not here because we have to be. We're here because we want to be. We wish we could do it more and more and more. We wish it was more often, right? We don't give because we have to. We give because we want to. We don't love because we have to. We love because because we love, right? We understand that, and we have to be the ones who model to the world, this is what God wants. 
God doesn't want us going through the motions if our heart is not in the right place. And you know it, I know it, and the whole world knows it. They can see that. And us trying to pat ourselves on the back or puff ourselves up thinking that Jesus is our treasure when he's clearly not our treasure is so obvious. And God is speaking it up to them here. He is bringing it up. He even says, I wish somebody would shut the doors because devotion to God is with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. This is what I love, treasure, long for. This is what I want to do. I want to love God who loves me, who forgives me of my sins, who deals with me, who accepts me, who is a good father to me. I want to love him. And when God can tell that that's not what it is, When God can tell we're indifferent toward what he says, he's trying to stop it. I wish somebody would shut the doors. I wish that somebody would kindle the fire or not kindle the fire if it's wrong. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. Look what he says next. And I will not accept an offering from God. Your hand. You ever thought about that before? Does God accept all offerings? You ever heard of a church that didn't accept an offering? What if somebody robbed the bank and came here this morning and wanted to give us $1,000, $10,000? Would we accept it? We shouldn't. Now again, we don't know where you're giving from. But God is pointing out here that he sees it all. And he takes it serious. And an offering to God, listen, is not necessarily worship to God. I don't know if you've thought that seriously about it before. But an offering to God is not necessarily worship to God. He says, I will not accept an offering from your hand. Now, here's why. This is our third and final point today. The seriousness of God calls out the indifference toward God and pushes us toward a dedication to God. Verse 11, here's what God says. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. God has always said, and he is continually saying, and he's saying it again to us here this morning, that real true Christianity, that real true relationship with God is when people worship him because they have come to value and treasure how glorious he is. And it is nothing short of that. Any going through the motions, any playing the game, God wants nothing of, and he is working, he is dealing, he is disciplining, he is holding accountable so that the people who truly have been forgiven of their sins that love him would rise up and live in faithful dedication to God. And it is our desire that every place, every person, every way that they would understand the glory of God, that his name would be great among the nations. There at verse 12, he brings back up the same thing again. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. So God brings it up. And now watch this. Talk about an immature, somebody that argues back. Look at verse 13. But you say, what a weariness this is. 
I mean, literally, this is a roll your eyes, OMG. Oh my God, here he goes again. I mean, it's not enough that we went to church this morning. I mean, he's really worked up today. He's getting on us. Josh does that every once in a while. Oh my goodness. That's what they're saying. God is speaking to his priests, the people that work for him, and he's saying all that stuff, that sacrificial stuff that I taught you to do and I told you correctly to do it, that now you're doing incorrectly, I don't accept it. I wish somebody would shut the doors. I'm not pleased in it. I will not accept your offering. And their answer is, oh my gosh, dude, you're wearing me out. You ever said that to somebody? Dude, you are wearing me out with all this. Dude, just get over it. Who cares? That's what they are saying to God. The audacity, the heaviness, the, 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 the scare of this conversation makes me think, oh my. But then I'm reminded of how often I or you or we will just go through it without a heartfelt desire. And the thought that the things of God would be a wearisome task to us so that then we become indifferent and think, I'm not gonna do it God's way, I'm just gonna do what I say. I'm just gonna do it the way I wanna do it, and I think it's enough. I'm doing better than most of the people out there anyway, so I think it's enough. I don't take God serious, I'm indifferent to it, next thing I know, I'm saying to God, God, your way's too much, too, too tedious, too wearisome for me. You're wearing me out, God. And they snort at the ways of God. Has your indifference led you to snort at the ways of God? You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hands, says the Lord? And now he becomes a name caller here. And we kind of teach ourselves to not call people names. But I guess the Almighty can call somebody a name if the shoe fits. And so in verse 14, he says, cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. God calls that person a cheat who knows how they ought to be living and kind of declares that they are and then still doesn't. God calls that person a fake, a phony. Uh, you can't see it. Pastor can't see it. Not everybody else can necessarily see it. But God calls it. God sees it, right? You got it. You said it. You said you were going to do this. You said you were going to do that. You said you were going to love them. You said you were going to help there. You said you were going to do this. You said you kind of thought you should be doing something other, more, uh, more, more committed, more, more devoted, something of that nature. And then you didn't. And God calls that person a cheat. But here's why. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. God wants us to worship him. There is never a time in our lives of anything that we're doing where you and I are not to be thanking God is to be worshiped in this. 
God is to be worshiped in the way we uh, relate to the people at home, in our arguments, in our differences. God is to be worshiped as we uh, fulfill our duties in our workplace. God is to be worshiped, and he's worshiped by the attitudes of the way we do everything we do. He's worshiped when when we are embracing him as our father in heaven in everything that we do. And God tells us here at the end of chapter one that not only does he desire that, but he will make that happen. God is a great king, and he will be feared among the nations. That's what he says. My name will be feared among the nations. God is going to see that it happens. So how's he doing that? How is God going to see for certain that this is going to come about? That there is going to be a worldwide people from every nation who treasure his great name, that he is the great king of all, that gladly bow down their knee. How's he going to do that? He certainly is doing that. He's doing that through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's doing that through the way that Christ changes lives, forgives sins, and welcomes people, but we get to that point by having heard him address it. And so we praise God for Sunday mornings, and we praise God for his word, and we thank God for Malachi, and we thank God that it has been brought to our attention yet again this morning that God is serious about himself. He's serious about how we live. He wants us to take him serious, and God then gets very blunt and direct on for those of us who then become indifferent to it, and he is preaching to us that we would be dedicated to God. Folks, we need to repent of our sins. We need to turn to God and say, I don't want to be indifferent. I want to be this way. I want to take you serious. I want my life to be surrendered to the great king that you are. I don't want to be indifferent. I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to roll my eyes at you, God. I don't want to be wearisome. I don't want to say that your ways are wearisome, God. I want to know you. And that happens not through our own strength. That happens not through you saying, well, I better start reading more so I can, I can be better. It happens through you committing yourself to Christ, knowing that Jesus is the sacrifice that satisfies God completely. Jesus is the one who brings us into a relationship with God. And when you come to know God through Christ, God gives you a new heart that wants to love him. Thank God for the book of Malachi, and I thank God for the seriousness of which he is approaching these priests. One final word. If God is so directly addressing the priests, if the priests are so off in where their heart is before God in worship, you can only imagine, listen, you can only imagine where the people's hearts are that are after them. And so it is for every society, every neighborhood, every home, every child. What my kids see me half-hearted, indifferent, going through the motions on, they won't do. What the world sees the church having a bad attitude, an indifferent heart toward, what the world sees us kind of ridiculously, hypocritically living in, they want nothing of. That's where we see we need Jesus. 
Our witness to the world is not, look how good we are. Look how Christian we are. Look how religious we are. That's not it. Our witness to the world is that Christ is all. Christ is Lord. Christ is King. Christ is Savior. And I need him. And when you come to Christ, you are so in in awe and consumed with him as Lord and Savior, then people start to see that that's him working in us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the book of Malachi. Thank you, Father, for the strong message that Malachi gives to his priests. Father, I pray that we would find your mercy here for us through Christ. Oh God, may we never despise your name. May we never be indifferent to what you're saying to us. But Father, may we dedicate ourselves wholeheartedly to your name that will be glorified throughout the whole world. You are the true king. Father, I pray today that you would lead us to repentance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.